We are starting a brand new series today called In Your Shoes. And what our goal is, is to have a conversation about what it's like to be in someone else's shoes and have their point of view as a worldview and how they see life. Now to get us going, because this is going to be kind of a challenging message series today and in the upcoming weeks, I just want to get something out there that it may not be easy to love me and other people, but it's easy to like and love Jesus. Isn't it true? Even if you're joining today and you're not sure you believe in exactly who Jesus is and you're not a Christian, you might say, hey, when I see what Jesus did for people and how he loved people, it's not too hard to like him or love him. Other religions feel the same way. Even though he's not at the epicenter of their faith, they would say, hey, we still respect him as a prophet and a teacher. And I think one of the reasons it's easy to like Jesus is because all the incredible stories that he you know, is a part of and he leads us through. Like when he fed the 5,000 plus plus people with a little boy's lunch, he provided food for so many people, that was an amazing thing. And when he would go to people that were blind and just help them to see immediately, I mean, those are amazing things. And of course, there's that, um, that wedding where they had run out of wine and he created tons and tons and gallons and gallons of wine. And you, you look at that and you go, well, Jesus is so amazing and he's cool. And I'm sure he got a whole lot more wedding invitations after that. Now, what's so interesting about Jesus is when he would run into people, he would constantly convey to them that you matter, that they matter. Like, for instance, when he approached Matthew, the tax collector, and tax collectors were the most hated people in Jewish society, he approached Matthew, who must have thought he was not important, he was pushed aside by society, and so did everybody else. He approaches Matthew to say, Matthew, you matter. And then when he went to Zacchaeus, who was the chief of tax collectors, and he didn't just say, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to forgive you of your sin, your tax collecting sin. I'm going to actually go to your house and I'm going to have dinner with you because I want to get to know you. Because Zacchaeus, look at me in the eyes. You matter. And then there was a woman caught in adultery and they were going to stone her and kill her. And he stood in front of her and he helped her, you know, find hope. And then he looks at her and says, hey, you got to find a different life to lead because this is hurting you. And then he runs into the Samaritan people, and the Samaritan people were different than the Jewish people in Jesus' day. And everybody hated the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds. They thought they were a lower class. And Jesus would run into Samaritan people, like the woman at the well. And he spoke into her life and said, you matter and you have value. And it changed an entire people group's point of view on God and of themselves. And then he would heal people that were blind, lame, and sick. And it changed their world because he said to them, you matter because they were told over and over, you're blind, lame, and sick because God's mad at you. You've done something wrong. You have this illness, this ailment because God is punishing you. And Jesus would just march in and said, you are not marginalized. You're not second-class citizens. You matter to God. And for maybe me, the most amazing story is when he heals the Roman centurion or the Roman soldier's servant because Rome was hated. They were the masters and they put you know, the Jewish people in slavery. And yet Jesus looked at a Roman and said, listen, you matter to God. And his whole life, he just did this over and over and over to specific people and groups of people that were marginalized. And then at the end of his life, he gathers his 12 guys together. And they've seen all this and they've experienced all this. And he gets them together for one last meal. And if you know the text, he washes their feet as if to say, this is how you're going to lead in this new world that I've created, this new movement. And he washes his feet, which means if you have authority, if you have power, if you're in charge, you have to serve the people around you. 
And then he broke bread and he explained them this would be his body and his blood through the wine that he poured in their glasses that he was about to spill in just a very few hours. And in the middle of this intense meal at the end of his life, he looks at his followers and he said, and John records this, a new command I give you, not an additional command, not an add-on command, but a brand new command that would override all commands. I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now we talk about this verse all the time, but I don't think we can ever lose the focus of what Jesus is calling us to. Because these young men that were following Jesus had heard a version of this their entire life, but this was Jesus was calling them to level up to a whole new thing that they were supposed to do with their lives. See, these young Jewish men in the old Jewish covenant, they were taught this. We find this in Leviticus that do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So here's how you're supposed to live your life, guys, and this is a pretty good way to live. Love other people the way you want to be loved. It's a solid thing to do. It's about being kind and, and caring for other people. But Jesus, he moved, he moved the dial so much farther up when he simply said a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And they had no idea what he was talking about. They had no idea what he was about to do. So must you love one another. Now, if you put yourself in their shoes in that moment, they probably thought, Jesus, we can do it. We can love sinful people, because up to now we've not done a good job of that. So when we run into people that we think are sinful, we're going to extend grace and love to them. We run into someone that, you know, some woman that's committed adultery, we're going to try and protect her and speak hope into her and point her in a better direction. <laughs> Jesus, when we run into a leper the next time, we're going to talk to him. We're not going to run away from him. I mean, we may not put our hands on him like you did, but we're going to spend some time with him, and we're going to tell him they're important to Jesus. We're going to try and do those things. We're going to be kind. We're going to care. But they had no idea the level of love that Jesus was talking about. They had no idea the nth degree he was about to go to to show them and the world that he really loved them. And here's something that's true for me, and I think it's probably true for you, that loving Jesus is way easier than loving like Jesus. Isn't it true? Loving Jesus is not real difficult for some of us because, you know, Jesus chased after us and he gave us grace and he gave us forgiveness. And this is what he says, you're like a child when it comes to God and God's your heavenly father. That's awesome. It's easy to love Jesus. But love like Jesus I mean, some days for me, that feels impossible. How do you lay your life down for people, even the people you don't know? I mean, it's tough for me to lay down my life for my kids and my wife, but for people that I don't know and people I may not like, and there's our challenge, isn't it? The reason it's so difficult for me to love like Jesus is because in my life, there are those people, and you know the those people in your life, and the those people are the group of people that are almost impossible to love. And you probably can think of some in your mind right now, like there's an individual that comes to mind. And for you, it might be your mother-in-law, not my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. And if you could tell her that, that would be great. But maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe it's a neighbor that's difficult to love. Maybe it's a category of people that's difficult for you to love. Like someone that you stand behind in the grocery store checkout line and they still write checks and record it in their checkbook while you wait to pay your groceries and you're like, oh, would you please just use a credit card so this would be faster? 
Or the people that you know, come to the four-way stop and they're not sure when they're supposed to go and it causes like three extra seconds of sitting there and it drives you crazy. Those people, for me, the those people in my life are the people that talk in movies. My friends, it has to be somewhere in Jesus' teachings that when you go to the movies, you don't talk at all. I just, it infuriates me. So I don't go to a lot of movies because I get so frustrated with it. But maybe for you, it's a more serious thing. It's a, it's a political group. I mean, the Republicans are just so stupid. They're just so out of touch. The Democrats, they just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And those people, whatever side of the aisle that they're on, it's those people. They just don't understand. They're just not smart enough. They just don't know how life really works. How could I ever love those people? Maybe, maybe for you, and you probably wouldn't say this out loud, but maybe you would. It's, it's a racial group. I mean, when you see a person of a different color, you wouldn't say it to anybody. You go, ah, those, they're, they're those people. I know what they're like. I know what they're going to do. And you just immediately think the worst about those people. Maybe for you, it's a generation. You see a younger person, a teenager, you know, roll by on a skateboard or a bike, and you go, ah, there, there, there's trouble. There's trouble. Or you see somebody, you know, over the age of 70, and for whatever reason, you just think they're automatically not going to like you or be grumpy with you and not care about you. And it's just all of those people in our lives. So here's my question for you and, and for me. Who, who are your those people? And I don't say it out loud, especially if you're living with them right now, that's dangerous. Who are the those people? Who, who are those people that you would say, okay, I will admit as a Christian, if you are one, if you're not, you know, we're just glad you're here. Jesus loves those people. But I'm kind of glad I don't have to. Jesus loves those people. But I'm glad I don't have to interact or be with or give to or serve. Because Jesus will take care of that one. I'll just kind of keep with me and mine. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that Jesus would look at you just like he did his closest followers and said, um, a new command. I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And by the way, I'm going to do an amazing, amazing act of love for the world in just a few short hours. So you must love one another. And again, I mean, it's not hard to love the people you date or your kids or your wife. Even the people you work with, you kind of love them because you have to get along with them. You have to do it to make life work. But those people are for Jesus. And what it comes to for all those of us that are Jesus followers, it's not even like an outward act, it's a heart issue. It's what dwells inside of me. It's what dwells inside of me when I see certain people, around certain people, whatever the category is. And I may never say it out loud or take any action on it, but it's what dwells in me. And as Jesus' followers, we've got to figure out what do we do with that mess? Now here's what might encourage you just a little bit. Jesus had those people in his life too. A lot of people for a lot of Jesus' life were like, pro-Jesus, yay Jesus. I mean, you're doing all these amazing things. But there were people in Jesus' life that drove him crazy, that he had to think, well, there's those people again. They're against me. They're trying to stop what I'm doing. In fact, he, he said this one day. It's recorded by Matthew. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Those are Jesus's those people. People that had control of the law, so they had authority, and the Pharisees, so the religious leaders. You are hypocrites. So he just launches in and he starts swinging hard at them. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, 
goes on, are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, listen to what he says, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Hey, Jesus, why don't you tell us how you really feel about these religious leaders and keepers of the law? Now, what you need to know about these people is they were the halves of the society. They were in authority. They were in control. But what really frustrated Jesus, and he even made them angry in a certain way, in a good way, is they represented God. And they were taking what they should have represented well, and they diluted it. And they turned it inside out. Goes on. Then, after that, the chief priests and the elders, those people, of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. You may have some people in your life that drive you crazy. I'm not sure they're trying to get you arrested and get you killed, but maybe they are, so I hope that works out. Then it goes on, but not, they said, not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among these people. This is the scheming of those people in Jesus' life. Now back to that room where Jesus was having the Last Supper, where he washed their feet and shared the bread and the wine. He was on the journey to be crucified. And after they had the Last Supper, he goes to a garden, and he starts praying to his Heavenly Father. And if you read it, it is the most, I mean, passionate, desperate cry for help that I have ever read. And it was essentially this, God, if there's any other way, Daddy, if there's any other way that there can be a right standing between you and human beings that doesn't involve me, I would prefer that. I would ask you for that. And he pleads and he cries and he sweats. It's just an amazing you know, time with his heavenly father. And eventually Jesus comes to the conclusion that there is no other way, that he has to go to the cross for the world, for you and for me. And Judas shows up in the garden. And this is what we're told by Matthew, who is an eyewitness. He says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of those people for Jesus, because Judas betrayed Jesus, one of the 12 arrived, and with him was a large crowd of those people, with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest, one of those people, and the elders of the people. Then... The men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law, those people, and the elders and others, some of those people, had assembled. The chief priests were told by Matthew. And the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. That's what we're told. They did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, the two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So they're quoting what they've heard Jesus say. Listen to this. Then the high priest, more of those people, stood up and said, Jesus, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And then those people, the high priest, goes on said, I charge you under oath by the living God. Now, you just got to pause and just wondered how Jesus felt. I am going to just quote the living God and by oath the living God, and Jesus must have thought, yeah, I know him pretty, pretty well. He, he's my dad. But I'm going to be silent. I'm going to stay on this journey for you people, those people. Tell us if you are the Messiah under oath of the living God, the Son of God. 
Jesus finally speaks. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. He's talking about himself and what he was going to do in the future in a miraculous way. And the high priest, we're told, tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Tearing your clothes is a way to say, I'm disgusted with you. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And listen to what the people around Jesus, some may have liked him at one point, say, the those people statement. They said, he's worthy of death. They answered. Then those people spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And that's just the beginning of the story. Because they drug him off and they beat him until he almost died. And then they scourged him until almost all the blood ran out of his body. And then they made him carry a cross to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And they drove nails to his hands and his feet. And when they hung him on the cross, they put a sign over his head that said, King of the Jews, to mock him and make fun of him. And Jesus was dying for the sin of the world. He was dying for those people's sin. He was dying for your sin, and he was dying for my sin. You know this. Anytime there's sin in our lives, something dies. There was sin in a relationship for you once upon a time, maybe, and the relationship died. (laughs) Financially, there was some sin going on. You spent more than you made, and your, your credit line died. But Jesus carries the sin of the world, and he's headed towards death. Now, when he's hanging on the cross, he says some amazing things. And one of the things that blows my mind is he said, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine? Father, forgive those people that got me here, that put me here, that are making me go through this agony. He did it for those people. But he says something else that is so in the context of where we're going in this series. We're told this by Matthew. From noon in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And you just can't overstate what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, the weight of the world's sin, the weight of my sin and your sin, was fully on the shoulders of Jesus. And because sin had overwhelmed him, it began to cause separation, or at the very least made him feel like he was completely separated from his heavenly Father. And he had spent eternity in perfect communion with his Father and the Spirit of God. I mean perfect communion, with perfect love and perfect unity and no dissension, just perfect love. And in this moment, for the very first time, Jesus is absolutely alone. Do you remember when we talked a minute ago about Jesus being in the garden saying, Father, if this cup could pass, if I don't have to do this, God, I would would appreciate that. I would vote for that. I do not want to go through that. I'm sure he didn't want to go through the scourgings and the nails and the beatings and the mocking. But I am convinced it is this moment when he felt completely alone is what he was crying out to his father for because he was fully under the weight of our sin. Desperate, broken, and it was about to kill him. And here's what you need to realize, here's what I need to realize today. In this moment, 
for the first time, Jesus felt the full pain of being fully you and fully me. In this moment, he had fully put on our shoes and stood where we stood with all of our sin and all of our disgrace and all of our shame. And can you imagine? He'd never experienced that himself before. And it is all on his shoulders. And not just one person's sin, the whole world's sin for that time and for eternity forward. And it is a beautiful display of love, but it is an awful thing that he went through to do it. And he did it for you to stand in your shoes so he could come and rescue you. In this moment, he exhibits this beautiful, terrible, difficult thing that we would say is empathy. And empathy is simply this, the ability to understand and share in the feelings of someone else. Empathy is this idea that I'm going to share in what you're in the middle of. And full on, when he was on the cross, he shared in that. Now, sometimes we get empathy and sympathy confused. And sympathy is, listen, I'm going to feel for you. That's what sympathy is. Empathy is I'm going to feel with you. If someone falls down in the hole, sympathy would say, hey, I'm going to throw a sandwich down and a bottle of water and try and help you out. Thumbs up, hope it works out. That's sympathy. And sympathy is good. Empathy is I'm going to crawl down in that hole. And I'm going to get down in the mud and the dirt and the smell and the filth. And I'm going to sit with you until we can figure out how to get out of it or someone rescues you. That is what empathy is. That is the beautiful picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And the cross is a clear, full picture of God being empathetic for us. I am with you in your mess, in your sin, in your disgrace, in your loneliness. I am entering in because I love you. And I care about you. And this is what Jesus, you know, reminds us of. That loving one another creates a hunger to understand one another. I, I can't love you if I don't understand you and where you're coming from. And then one of the things when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of something the Apostle Paul said, who understood Jesus and God so well and gives context to this. And this might be a little shocking, what I'm about to read to you. But let me get through the whole thing before you're too frightened or judged by it. Apostle Paul says this. He says, for while we were God's enemies. What? Hey, Paul, Paul got a question. We were God's enemies? Yeah. You see, God is a perfect and a holy God without flaw or out sin. And we're sinful, man. You know that. I know that. And because God is so perfect and we're so not, in a sense, we were his enemies. But that's not the end of this story. We were reconciled, which means brought back, brought back together to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What Paul is simply saying is, you were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God because of our sin, and he's not sinful. But he came down and rescued us. And I don't like to think of myself as that sinful. I like to think of myself as someone that needed forgiven, but it wasn't really that bad. I'm not like those people or those people. Paul would look at me and say, Matt, no, no, you missed it. You were that sinful. And until you understand that, you cannot comprehend the empathy that God gave and the love that he gave and the sacrifice that he gave for you and I. Simply means this, that loving one another creates a hunger to understand one another, which allows us to better love 
one another. Again, if I understand you and where you're coming from and where hurt and pain you have in your life, I can love you better. So as we wrap up this morning, let me ask you a question. Who are your those people? Who are your those people? You may not even say it to anybody, but in your heart, who are they for you? Maybe the question is how can you better understand them? Now, I was not planning on doing this series because of what's going on in our world. I had planned on doing this series and then, you know, the whole world feels like it's on fire and is blowing up. And there are racial tensions all around. And I thought, okay, Jesus, this could not be a better subject for us to talk on than where we are in our world right now. And it's a little scary and it's a little confusing and I'm not sure what to do or what to say. But when I started thinking about this, I thought, this is it. And maybe to give context to something that I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about that thing that pops up, mainly on social media or on the news, when you see that phrase, you know, Black Lives Matter. And I'm not sure where that comes from, and there's a lot of theories and a lot of thoughts on it, but I think about, I think about Matthew who was sitting behind a tax collector booth, and he was convinced he didn't matter. And people were convinced Matthew and all the tax collectors didn't matter. And Jesus went to him and said, hey, 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 listen, you and the people that you're associated with, you matter to me. You mean the world to me. I'm going to give everything for you and your people group. And sure, he loved everybody, but he wanted those people to know. I think about the Samaritan woman that no one loved and they thought she was less than and marginalized. And he made sure she knew and her people knew, you matter to me. All these people are not sure you matter. I'm telling you, you matter to me. It's a beautiful thing. I think about every sick person and blind person that Jesus went to that people thought they were sick and blind because God was mad at them specifically. And they felt like they were less than everybody else. And Jesus went, no, 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 no. You couldn't be loved anymore. And you couldn't be loved any less. A woman caught in adultery. Peter, James, and John, which were second-rate fishermen, Jesus made sure they and their people knew they mattered. And when I see that somebody posts Black Lives Matter, it reminds me that maybe that group of people doesn't think they matter or think we think they matter. And I'm a follower of Jesus. And I have an opportunity to say, you matter. And if I could just vent for just one minute, when I see a follower of Jesus, you know, throw up really fast, well, all lives matter. I simply want to go, yeah, they do. No kidding, Sherlock, they do. And as Christians, we know they do. God died for the whole world. But he also went to certain people and made sure they knew they were valuable to God. And in this day and age that we're in, as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity not to throw out cheeky answers and frustration. We have an opportunity to represent the Savior that went to the cross for us when we were those people. And to be quite frank with you, I realize I'm a middle-aged, middle-class white man in Van Wert, Ohio, and I don't have a lot to be afraid of in my world. I just don't. But there are people in our world that do. And I can have empathy for them. And here's the good news. If this is what freaks you out, you can have empathy for them, and you don't have to give up anything you believe in. You can have empathy for them, and you can be conservative or liberal. You can still vote. You can keep your guns. 
You, you know, you can disagree with what you see. You don't have to agree with rioting. You can, you can support the police, because I certainly do. But you still can have incredible empathy and love for them. And we can be conduits of what Jesus did for us when we were those people, because I certainly was. And what time in our world is it better right now for people like you and people like me to say, listen, you matter to God. God loves you. I I may not understand, but I'm going to try and understand. I'm going to try and listen. I'm going to try and understand what it's like to be in your shoes. I don't have to agree with it all, but I can try because that's what God did for us. Maybe this is the thought when it comes to those people in our lives because I'm struggling with this too. How can you better share and their feelings, and dip into their world. And this is, this is the thing that I think maybe we struggle with from our perspective sometimes. Yeah, but, but I'm right. But I'm right. I can prove to you I'm right. But if I could just remind you that I'm really glad that when Jesus saw me, he didn't decide just to be right. Because when he saw me, the right thing would, to do would be to condemn me to hell forever for eternity because of my sinfulness and the things I did. And I could tell you all the things I've done in my life and you would agree with me. Yep, you deserve hell forever and you probably feel the same way. But Jesus didn't choose to be right with me. He chose to love me and take the punishment on himself. And his righteousness was given to me because he paid my penalty. So my friends... As we jump into this series and the season of life we're in and the world we're living in, what does it look like for you to figure out how to love people that you don't understand and have empathy and feel what they feel and share in what they share? And you don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to give up what you believe, but you could look like Jesus in the middle of it. And I'm telling you, we could change the world through that. And we could change how people see Christians through that. And we could at least change us through that, which changes everything. I, I thought about this, and I wasn't even going to say this, and I know I'm even running a little bit long. I thought if what I've said offends you to the point that you don't want to tune anymore, I understand. I understand. And I'm okay with that. Because we can't shy away from modeling Jesus in our world. And he loves you. And he loves me. And he loves the people in the world that he created and gave his life for. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm not sure where this lands for everyone. It's certainly challenging to me when I think of those people in my life. I pray that we would just learn to love like you did, you do, and stand in the shoes of other people and see from the pain and the life experience that other people have. And hold on to you, Jesus, in your truth and who you are. Change us from the inside out. And maybe just the people in our own homes, our wives, our husbands, our children, and our neighbors. Help us to do the same with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.